Welcome to Code Cafeteria. We are Lara, Miguel, and Kai, and we talk about developer life, tech, games, and other things. Our main topic today is going to be mathematics. More specifically, we're talk- going to talk about our experiences with learning and using mathematics, both from a personal perspective as well as from a professional point of view. Hey, Lara. Hey, Miguel. How are you? Hello. Hello. Good. Very good. We haven't been recording and speaking for quite a while because we were all busy and I was sick for a while and couldn't really talk properly. Um, what is new in your lives? So in my life, many things, I guess the, the last weeks, everything happened together. <laughs> uh, one thing is that I built a gaming PC and I've been... I. Yeah. I saw that on Twitter. Fascinating. I know. It was just, I have to do it and disappear during 2020, the rest of 2020. And, and I've been, for the last week, I've been playing Aero Truck Simulator 2 again. I saw that too, <laughs> and I find that a little bit weird. I can't stop playing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so how does it work? You have to actually deliver freight from A to B? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you can okay. you can drive different kind of trucks and different kind of things to deliver, and it's just fun. <laughs> can can your trucks be robbed as well by like you know N- gangs who steal the load and no, the freight and stuff like no, that? No, 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 no. But yeah, you can you can try to speed, and then you can get caught by police or cameras, and then ah, yeah, you okay. you have to pay fines. Yeah, and it's just, it's just fun. I don't know. I like driving. Okay. Yeah. What what kind of tech did you base your gaming PC on? Like, is it an Intel-based or like an AMD Ryzen? Or? It's Intel Core i9, okay. 64 gigs of RAM. Um, cool. Don't ask me about um, which kind of cooling system or um <laughs> the graphics card but it's a cool <laughs> Mikkel picked it up for me <laughs> oh sweet okay <laughs> and i saw that miguel is actually playing simulations as well recent how has been playing recently yeah flight simulator like everyone else in the world apparently but me yeah yeah i know it's um it's getting is it's hitting hard i think and and you can see because everywhere else the yokes and joysticks and all this kind of hardware is sold out also as well. I tried it. Yeah, it's interesting. I tried it myself. I would really... <laughs> is it, is, did you like it? Yes and no. Uh, yes, when I tried it last week in Mikkel's PC um, using the joysticks he has. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was really nice. But not yesterday when I tried it in my PC because I I, I was using the PS4 controller only. So it was uh, okay. way different and I I didn't know how to to do things. It was different. Like the, the way you manage the throttle and, and brakes and yeah, I didn't like the, the experience. Yeah, I can imagine with a with a normal console controller that would be kind of tricky to play it becomes more an action game than a simulation then probably mm, yeah yeah 
that that's the that's the thing that I like also a little bit of action. And even though I'm playing a retract simulator and doesn't have much action action, I like driving. And I have to do different okay. things all the time. But by flying yesterday I was getting bored when I was up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I used to play um X plane on earlier ah. versions on the Mac. And I have like a nice. semi-decent flight stick, like a joystick with a throttle that you can also twist to um, simulate rudder, basically. Um, mm. But what really stops me from getting Flight Simulator is that I have to run it on Windows 10. And I don't want to get a Windows PC and I don't want to install it somewhere as a second partition. And it's just too hard at this stage. Mm. <laughs> I would probably, if it, you know, if it was available on Xbox and I could play it with like my proper joystick, I would maybe considering getting an Xbox for it or an Xbox One or whatever the recent one is. But I don't think I'm going through the effort of building a PC for it. Hmm. So it will come to Xbox, I think, yeah. in in some in some months. Yeah. What have you been playing, Kai? I've been playing Fortnite Season Four a lot since it started. Um, and mainly because it's kind of a Marvel season once again. Mm. So a lot of the costumes and the stuff you can get is um, Marvel themed, like Thor and Tony Stark and Jennifer Walters and Mystique and a lot of people. And that's kind of really good fun. And they have um, put quite a bit of effort into designing missions and challenges that also fit into the Marvel universe. So it's really good fun to play that currently. I mean, the season before, season three, I played as well, but not as much. So I, I always get the battle pass, you know, where you basically get like um, like a reward for every tier mm. you make up to tier 100. And last season, I didn't even make it to tier 100. But, you know, like this season is about one and a half weeks in and I'm already like tier 37 or 38 or something like nice. that. So I'm reasonably motivated to get all the Marvel costumes for that. <laughs> there was the personal use, one of the two sections we started recently. Um, we have another section that we want to regularly do before we get actually into the topic of the episode, which is community news. And I think we have, again, a few interesting tidbits around Android, Flutter, and CFML we want to at least briefly mention and maybe talk about who wants to have a start with the Android news. I can start. Um, so the last month, I remember the these announcements of Android Automotive OS. Um, I think it was very exciting to see because um, I... In comparison to Android Auto, this is a, an operating system. So means that if your car has Android Automotive OS, you can actually have, it actually has Google Play integrated. So you can download mm -hmm. directly in your car apps that support this operating system. And that's what makes different from Android Auto where you... You need to have a a phone, an Android phone, and you need to have installed applications 
and it's it's different and it it's exciting to see where it goes um, as an Android user. It's very exciting to see. Yeah. Don't you don't you think it might end up being something like Android TV that in the end becomes really a bit of a shit show to be honest? Um, Who knows? You know, like all over the place. Who knows? Because my my feeling is like automotive companies, like particularly let's say German ones like BMW mm -hmm. and like Volkswagen and Audi. They're not very agile and interested in moving. They're not digital. You know what? They're not digital first. I know, yeah. They know how to build cars, but that's about it, right? And then digital and like, you know, integration into mobile technology is like an afterthought almost. That's why we bought a Japanese car living in Germany. <laughs> you should buy a Tesla. That's going to be manufactured around the, right, uh, around the corner from you quite that's soon. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But let's see, I'm, I'm excited about automotive OS just by knowing how cars are um, um, the, the brands work right now where they ask you for APKs <laughs> to install. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I hope that this brings some, some updates in, in cars. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be it. very interesting that's to it. see. So more things, a um, couple of things that I have in mind are Jetpack Compose is now on Alpha stage. Um, I honestly have to say that when they announced Jetpack Compose last year in Google I.O. 19, for me, it didn't feel we will get into Alpha stage in a year already. Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting to see. I haven't tried it yet. I, I've seen some code and yeah, but I haven't tried it yet. It just, it feels exciting to, to see it coming. And also the last thing is that I, I saw the Android Studio 4.1 Release Candidate 2 was already available in beta channel. Why it's exciting? I'm very excited about Android Studio 4.1 because it has the database inspector. And I installed it the, this week. It was the first time I installed an, a version that it's not stable yet on under, um, of Android Studio. And it's just amazing. It, it, it was like the highlight of my week. I could see the databases, the tables. I could do queries and I could even change data, you know. So we have to explain that we're talking about room databases, right? Or SQLite databases yes, in general. Yes, yes, yes. And... In previous versions of Android Studio, the only way to get any, you know, info on those databases on the devices was to pretty much download them off the device, right? And open them somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like groundbreaking yeah. for Android. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a highlight for me. Cool. And maybe I should update to Android Studio 4.1 then as well quite soon because I need to do some Android work this week actually on a client's project. And um, that involves actually some room databases. So I might <laughs> just migrate the whole project over. I think I installed the release candidate to in uh, this Wednesday, and I worked with it Thursday and Friday. Didn't have any issue cool. at all. So what is new in Flutterland? Yeah, um, Flutter was released the version 120, which is the latest stable, lots of bug fixes, but I think there is a couple of interesting things that are sneaking. 
which are a new way of rendering native views inside Flutter. So uh, for our audience, we I'd like to explain that um, Flutter uses a different way of rendering views into into the the hierarchy of like what's displayed on the screen. And so rendering views that come from, from Android or that come from iOS is difficult. And now they have a, a new way of doing that, which has sneaked into this uh, new release. And that means that this will improve a lot using things like Google Maps or using things like web views inside existing Flutter apps. So I think it's a, it's a great thing that happened in the, in the project. There's also as well a new navigation API that is, this is going to improve a lot the way we we handle different screens within one app and also how we handle navigation when you create a Flutter web project. So a lot of, of nice things coming from Flutter, yes. Cool. And last but not least, I'll speak a little bit about the niche technology in the room, which is <laughs> CFML. <laughs> So eventually, a week or two ago, Codebox 6 was released, and that was kind of cool. Um, Codebox is one of the main um, web and API frameworks for CFML these days. And that brought a whole bunch of interesting new stuff, um, particularly in the API field, where I'm currently using Codebox for a project, or Miguel and I are using that, that framework. And the other thing that was really worthwhile mentioning is a friend of mine, Brett Wood, he... Um, discovered a massive performance issue in one of the CFML engines, um, specifically in Lucy. So in CFML, there's a feature called query of queries, right? Like Lucy and CFML being backend technologies, quite often you use that to query databases, right? Like you have like whatever data source, SQL Server, MySQL, MariaDB, or something like that running, and you run a query against your database to fetch some data for processing or for delivering to a web page or to an API. And what Lucy allows you to do is it allows you to hold a query object in memory and then use SQL again to query your object in memory. So you can say, hey, I've got this query with 20,000 records and now I wanna, I don't know, run some other SQL against it. I don't need to go back to the database. I can just do that in an in-memory object. And what um, Brett found out is in Lucy, this query of query functionality is implemented um, in two different ways. If your SQL is very simple, it works fine and very efficiently. But if your SQL is more complex, what the engine does is it goes to um, goes off to create an HSQLDB in memory, spins up its own in memory database for a few for a few moments, puts your query object into that, and then runs a query against that in-memory database and then gets rid of that in-memory database and it's doing all of that single-threaded. And he found that out because like um, he was doing some client work and a client complained like this this code was running ridiculously slowly. And um, so yeah, that's how that came to light. And um, the workaround is actually quite simple, you know, like don't use query of queries for very complex SQL and just use MapReduce and use filters on your data structure, which is actually faster in a lot of ways. But he has also implemented a fix. Um, so he has actually written uh, a pull request for Lucy to fix that issue and um, 
make it like I don't know manifold more performant um, and everyone hopes that's gonna make it into the next product but it's kind of like really interesting how you know you have an open source backend server engine that is out there for like 10 plus years and all of a sudden that thing comes to light and everyone is like how could we not have seen this for the last x years really interesting interesting don't forget to to add the link later yes i will do that in the show to that pr yeah yep awesome so should we get into the actual topic of this episode which is mathematics and particularly mathematics for developers i'd like to start with like a question to pretty much all of us like how do we feel about mathematics because quite often people um going through primary and high school get kind of a socialization into a box like i hate math or i love math um, and then stick with that socialization and i just like to get like a bit of a feeling what each of you think about mathematics and you know where you stand at this stage uh, oh wow i i don't know i mean i think so I would say that I used to like maths until college. What is college in your world? Is that like high school or is Sorry. that like um, first university. years of university? Okay. Yeah. Until my, I was 18, let's say. Because at that point is when I started to not understand things. So by now I say that I don't know much maths I don't like it I don't hate it it's not that I can't do maths I do some basic maths <laughs> nowadays okay um, I would say I don't know much mathematics as I know mathematics can be <laughs> yeah okay how about you Miguel um, I think I'm very neutral to it. Like, um, I don't hate them, of course, but also not passionate about it or not liking them. Okay. <laughs> so I feel neutral about it. Yeah, I, that's fair. Okay. You're not judging us, right? No, I'm totally not judging okay, okay. you. I mean, like, <clears throat> I know that it, it's hard, right? Because mathematics is one of these sciences kind of that is very fundamental to a lot of other stuff so you use it quite often without really knowing it in, in even in your day-to-day -day life but at the same time i think if you if you go through a process of doing mathematics at university for example quite often you get trained for the wrong things hmm. like you get trained to become an academic in mathematics but you don't want that you just want to be able to use it right that kind of that mm. kind of stuff and i mean that feeds back to that socialization that happens quite early in your school career from my experience that you all it needs sometimes is one bad teacher you know yeah. one teacher that doesn't doesn't know how to transport the fascination of mathematics which exists and why it's cool or like a teacher who doesn't really care about 
um, you know, explaining it properly or, you know, just stopping explaining too early. Like, you know, this kind of like, oh, we proved this up to here and then now it's trivial, um, you know, how it works. And everyone else is like, no, this is not trivial. You know, like I need an explanation mm. for, for this. And I see that with a lot of people, you know, a lot of people I know who say they are bad at math are not necessarily bad. They just had bad experiences. And then that kind of label stuck with them. Yeah. I have to say that I, I used to to help kids up to and teenagers up to 18 after school with, with um, homework in general and, and many times with maths. And, and I like helping but I, I found that from eight, 16 to 18 the mass physics and stuff that I was helping out with were a little bit complex <laughs> mm. um, but I liked that but after that yeah um, no it's not my thing <laughs> okay when we look at things like you know how we use math each of us i think there are like three big boxes you know there is obviously day-to-day -day stuff like you i don't know you go to the supermarket and you keep kind of a tab in your mind how much money you spend on your shopping cart i mean if i do that sometimes but other people might do that as well or maybe i'm just different i don't know anyway um you know that kind of really basic disclaimer adding and i don't and but it's not uh, not because i'm rich I just don't. <laughs> okay. But, you know, that, that level of mathematics where you add or subtract things, you know, you do basic arithmetic. And then we can also use it in commercial work or in paid work in some way or in, in projects in our development work. And then there's the fun box where it has no particular purpose. You just do mathematics for fun and puzzles and, like, trying to do something with the knowledge you gained, potentially. Is that kind of a fair categorization of what we would use it for or what people use it for? Probably, yes. I think so, yeah. yes. There's also the difference between when you are explicitly using maths or where you are using something that has a lot of maths behind but mm -hmm. you don't understand, no? So... We do a lot of UI work, for example, and there's a ton of maths behind that, you know, from animations to rendering to scaling, etc. And we don't touch them directly, but we need to understand certain things, like, for example, pixel density and how that multiply to be uh, a different density mm. depending on the device or so. Mm -hmm. That requires some maths in the background, but you don't modify that, let's yeah. say, every single fair, day. Fair. Correct, yeah. I have to be honest, um, I didn't know or I didn't have in my mind that you could use maths for fun in terms of puzzles. It makes sense. I just didn't see that before. Like the first time I heard that from you, Kai, I thought Sudokus. But then uh, I don't know if that qualifies for maths. <laughs> But it's a puzzle. It, I think it does. <laughs> it has know. numbers. It's kind of, it's a numbers puzzle using, you use logic and you use, yeah. I don't know, deduction yeah. skills to figure stuff out. But then I saw some puzzles, math puzzles that you do. And it was clear to me what you meant about that. 
and yeah it opened yeah, a new world different. for me yeah. like yeah that exists for people um and yeah i mean nothing wrong with it it just i didn't know it exists <laughs> it, it's kind of cool i find it nice to do these things because sometimes they can be really easy and they take like a minute and sometimes they can be really challenging and you spend like an hour you know trying to figure out what's going on and sometimes i can't solve it at all because it requires knowledge that I didn't even do at university or something. Interesting. I remember reading one of those puzzles. Yeah. I was like, I have no idea what it's talking about. <laughs> I will need to see an example of that later. Okay. So oh, maybe you can, you can add math. some examples hmm? of those kind of puzzles. I, yeah, I'll, I'll bring up some um, and we'll talk about some in a few minutes. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about like the different kinds of stages in schooling and university, what kind of math you learn, right? Like, I mean, I don't know much about the Spanish school system, to be honest, but I assume you do high school for, or school in general for 12, 13 years, similar to Germany, something like that. And I would also assume the first four or five years is kind of a primary school, and then it's high school until you graduate and go to uni. Yeah. So until you are 12, you do primary, um, sco primary mm -hmm. school. Then from 13 to 16, you do like a secondary school. Mm -hmm. Then you do two years, 17, 18, um, before university, which is just to prepare to university. Okay. And then is the university. All right. That's so, the university path. Uh, yeah. Yes, if you if That's you if you do part, high school yes. towards university, yeah. basically, it's kind of what in Germany yeah. would be abitur. Pretty yeah, much. and yes. you have to do up until sixteen. I think the the secondary school is mandatory. I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. until sixteen, yeah. and then you can do like or stop studying and go working or do like abitur, like uh, professional path. Um, yeah, I think it's the same. Okay. So the, the mathematics you would do at high school, how would you characterize that? Uh, for me, it seems to be very fundamental and you're actually doing very specific things that you can calculate, where actually a number comes out of it at the end, you know, that you have something tangible, so to say. Yes. So you would calculate, I don't know, the the peak or trough of a function in uni preparation in the last two years, I assume, or you would calculate some angles in a triangle and areas. or in other geometric. Mm. Yeah, okay. exactly. Cool. Yeah, that's very similar to what I experienced from Germany, from the high school system. And I had to deal with quite a bit of a culture shock when I went to uni, when it came to math. So for the people who actually listen to us for the first time or don't know me, I have a degree in mathematics. So after high school, I went to uni and actually did like a degree. But the first year, at least, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I came from high school and I was really good at mathematics and physics and all those kind of sciences. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in lectures and I it was just like totally rushing over my head for like the first six months. Then it got better. And I would say after a year, I started to kind of understand what we talked about a year ago, roughly. Mm. Um, and the reason for that was that 
it seems to be very abstract all of a sudden. You don't calculate things, nothing is tangible. And all you do is you start with pretty much nothing and you build mathematics on top of it by proving every little thing. And then if you're lucky, maybe occasionally you can calculate something with that knowledge that you've built from nothing, essentially. Yeah, I feel it. Um, when, when you said that it became abstract, it's the feeling I also had when I suddenly realized I don't understand things. Um, I thought I was good at maths and then suddenly I think it was at the end of the the these two years of before university when I was approaching the exams for for university is when we started doing vectors and more Mm -hmm. 3D things and more abstract things. It's, that's when I hit my peak where I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and, 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 and then in university, I also realized I just don't understand what they are talking about. Um, so when you went to university and when you did your biology degree, mm -hmm. um, You would have done a lot of statistics probably as part of that, right? Yeah, I don't remember as much. I, I had a, I had maths, but I also had statistics if I'm not mistaken. I just don't remember anymore. It's been a long, long, long time. <laughs> but I'd say I had statistics besides maths. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Miguel, for your computer science degree, how did you feel about mathematics and the mathematics lectures and classes you had to go to, probably? So I remember doing a lot of, um, not a lot of abstract things, to be honest. It was a bit more practical, everything that we did, but we had to touch uh, very different topics, no? from linear algebra to statistics, for example, um to things like uh pseudo number pseudo num random number generation mm -hmm. for example no studying a little bit of that and 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 i had probably six or seven different um subjects or yeah it's, it's a subject no every different class that you yeah. have no so so we had like i had like six or seven different subjects on maths each one focused on different things mm -hmm. Um, probably the most problematic thing is probably that the first year um, in, in the uni I was going, they have something that if you don't pass all these subjects from the first year on, on, to the, on the first two years, you are kicked out of the university. Ugh. So they have okay. this, this method. Yeah. And, and only like um, 60% of the people pass or something like this. So they drop a lot of people mm -hmm. from that. Maths was the single one that I did not pass on the first try. The first, like the first math one that we do in, in uni, that was the first one I had to repeat. Mm. And and the rest I passed at the first thing. So it was, it was probably the most complex thing that I remember from the first year at uni. But then the courses that I did later on were more interesting than the ones that I did at the beginning. So I think, I think that depends on the topic, obviously, but also probably on the style, because in, in Germany, when I did my degree, the f I mean, there are lectures, right? where you sit in a big classroom in an auditorium and you listen to what the professor or the teacher is actually doing on the blackboard 
back that back in the day at least. And later on, you do more seminar style courses where you are a group of like, I don't know, five to 10 people and yeah. you actually work through certain chapters of a book uh, on something. And you do like little presentations about that and you try to, you know, you engage with the professors in a more direct way where it's not a lecture. And I found that actually really interesting and much, much better because you have so many more options to actually ask for things and to say like, hey, I didn't understand that. Can we actually clarify why this proof is working in that way and stuff like that? Exactly that. So the first courses you are doing classes with groups of 100, yeah. 60, 100, something like that. And then later is more, what you said, smaller groups mm. um, focused on a single topic. And it's way more interesting. Yeah. What kind of different topics of math are there that are, you know, maybe big or important enough that they are worth mentioning? Because you mentioned already that you did like six or seven different subjects or courses. Yeah. Um, what can you remember what topics you did? So I remember algebra. I remember a lot of matrix multiplications and matrix operations. Yeah. I do remember also statistics. I I do remember one that was very, very interesting in which we touch uh, pseudonumber random number generation. And that was that was probably one of my favorite ones when I was doing that and kind of realized that not all random numbers are equal. actually random. Yeah. And actually random. And there are some that are more random than others. And, and that was kind of eye opening to understand um, um, how our computers work and what's the importance in that and in cryptography also as well. And I don't remember a lot more, to be honest. Okay. I think, I think in general, the first few years or the more fundamental topics fit into two big boxes. Um, one is kind of the calculus box where you look at functions and like, you know, you do like um, study of the properties of functions. Um, and then there is the other box of algebra or linear algebra, what you mentioned with, you know, matrix calculations and vectors and tensors. And you define general algebraic structures like, I don't know, rings and bodies and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's how, at least how it was taught um, at my university that you ended up with these two big streams. And then there were options to specialize in each of these streams and go into more detailed stuff. Like in calculus, you would have, I don't know, you know, functions in, in n-dimensional spaces or complex functions or differential equations or numerical simulations, for example, you know, where you actually simulate engineering processes like, you know, I don't know, how is water dispersing when put into soil and stuff like that numerically. And in algebra, it would be things like number theory, you know, where your, your pseudo-random pseudo numbers fit in, um, the properties of prime numbers and things like that, or cryptography. And stuff like statistics and probabilities theory kind of sits a little bit outside of the box, I almost feel. Um, which gets reflected in the fact that at quite a few unis, you can actually do a degree in statistics, which has a lot of math, but you are then like a statistician and not a mathematician, technically at least, you know, based on your degree, um, which is kind of interesting. 
I also did uh, a course on machine learning a couple of years ago, and there was a lot of theory on maths and a lot of demonstrations. And I remember when doing the course, the teachers said sometimes, okay, the next video is optional, it's not gonna come in the final, but if you're interested in, in maths, you can watch it. And I remember skipping it sometimes. Um, and I, but I think it was it was way more result focused than what I did at university even. Yeah, we should talk about that course a bit more because I think it might actually be the same course that I did, like the Andrew N. Coursera data science course or machine learning course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, we one. should actually talk a bit about that because that was a really interesting experience as well. Okay, so. When we think about applying mathematics in our day-to-day -day work and in projects, where does that fit into what we do as developers? In our case, at least a lot in, in graphics and visualization, you know, from animations, for example, that um, we have this thing called curves in animation, which is how the animation moves. It's not always like a line, but it can be like a little curve and with different um, dampering and, and, and so. So if you want to create your own, you need to go deep into the formulas, the math formulas that implement them. And But most cases you just use a default one. So that will be one case that affects us directly. Yeah, so explain that these curves would pretty much define the acceleration and the deceleration of your animation quite often. Like, you know, a linear animation curve would pretty much, your object starts and it moves exactly the same speed and then it stops. But if you have a different curve, like a, I don't know, quadratic or... Um, you know, even more complicated curve, you might get something like your object actually starts at nothing, then accelerates visually to a certain speed and then decelerates towards its end position, for example. So exactly. you can build these kind of things with with functions. And it's literally, you know, calculus, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what about other animation? Like you want to rotate things in space, let's say you build a game and you have like, I don't know, a spaceship and you, you know, want to position that or move that around. Yes. Um, there is the, the, the whole thing of transformations and you can do easy transformations like a scaling and then you can just pass a parameter to scaling. But if you want to do something more complex, you can also, and you can pass a matrix to apply transformations to whatever object you have on the screen. And that's a terrain where you definitely need some some background to understand what's going on and how to discover these transformations. I remember when I was um, doing a little bit of OpenGL that you do these transformations by hand. So you definitely need to understand what you are modifying here. Yeah, so these matrices, for transformation usually have like sinus and cosinus values and functions in there that depend on the angle and the direction you want to rotate things. And I think pretty much like, you know, a lot of libraries would abstract that away where you just mm -hmm. say, I want to rotate something, I don't know, 30 degrees clockwise or counterclockwise. And then the library is doing the math for you. But if you look behind that 
abstraction layer of libraries, you'll see that they have some sort of a transformation matrix for these kind of things. Yeah. Um, another thing that comes to mind is obviously data science and machine learning you know, in these kind of fields. What's the math that we need for that? A lot of matrix operations, at yeah, least. I That's what I was doing. Yep. And and also, I remember doing a statistics. Mm. And also because you need to... First, you do this data science exercise. Before you start with the machine learning, you need to understand the data that you have. So you do... Um, you need to... Um, take this data and understand this data and and then extract information from this data before you start using machine learning on top of that. So that's why when I did machine learning, I did before a course on data science. And, and I remember doing a little bit of a statistics in this course of data science and, and drawing plots and, and these kind of things. So you touch a little bit of everything, I will say. Yeah, that. I think so too. Um, if you specifically look at machine learning. Again, there are tons of libraries that abstract all that stuff away, right? But I don't think it's a good idea to just use things like, I don't know, TensorFlow and other libraries and not have an understanding at least a little bit what's going on behind the scenes, because it's just important and good practice to know these kind of things um, so that you make the right decisions, what to use and how to use and in which way to use. The, the course you mentioned, um, that was the um, the original machine learning course on Coursera, right? From Andrew N. Mm. Because I did this ex exactly the same course a few years ago. And I yes, found that really yes. interesting. Yes. I didn't finish the course, to be honest. I went from the 12 weeks that there are on the course. I was on the eighth one. And, and I was finding myself just trying, just Googling every single response all the time. Mm. And I, I found myself... No, you're not learning anything. You're just googling the responses for the for the for the thing, and and it's bad because I found the videos very interesting. But then when I had to sit down and implement the things that I was supposed to do every week, it was impossible for me, and I felt really frustrated. And I think that's a problem with the course because later I did a a extended course, a nano degree, what is called in Udacity for deep learning. And I enjoyed that much way more. And I understood, understood things way better than with the Coursera course. So that is really interesting because I enjoyed that Coursera course tremendously. So I think it's not necessarily the course, it's matching the course to your style of learning and what you're interested in, in some way. And maybe mm. it is because I came from that mathematics point of view. Um, I found, you know, you, you basically work with a tool called Octave, which is yeah. um, a free version of a commercial tool called MATLAB, um, which is really helpful for working with massive matrices and very sparsely um, populated matrices. And I used that at uni, MATLAB. So I fell back into Octave and I was like, oh, cool, I know that, you know. And he was explaining all the formulas for linear regression and all the stuff he's doing in that course. And it kind of felt really natural for me. It was exactly the style of learning I was used to from uni for me. Hmm. And yeah. that's why I kind of enjoyed it. And I can totally see why other people would not enjoy it that much or would actually, you know, 
kind of dislike that because it's a very targeted way towards a certain demographic almost i think of people so other topics that are interesting um, from using math as a developer point of view cryptography is one of them we mentioned i mean mm -hmm. like if you want to encrypt and decrypt things that obviously has to do with mathematics i think also if you're a game developer um you do quite a bit of math. I mean, that's feeding obviously back into that whole visualization and animation kind of thing. And physics as but well. But what about... I guess hmm? physics, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Like if you have objects behaving in a certain way according to certain, I don't know, laws of nature or whatever game designers actually and game developers call that. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is like algorithms. Even though that's not necessarily mathematics specifically mm. but things like the complexity of like i don't know bubble sort for example or like you know mm. some binary tree sorting algorithms that has to do a lot with mathematics even though it's probably more a topic of theoretical computer science when you put it into a certain box yeah yeah i i, I actually didn't want to put that into the into the episode or into the document because I wasn't sure if that's mathematics or not, all this uh, computer theory, and knowing that this algorithm is using, um, how much space is using, for example, when running this algorithm, no, the big O notation and, and this kind of stuff. And we can discuss if that's important or not for, for computer science. And so, but I felt that that was not mathematics somehow, but I, yeah, I don't I, know. I have a very opinionated view on that. I think it is mathematics. I actually mm -hmm. think computer science is just one topic inside of the big box of mathematics, to oh, be honest. Uh -huh. um, even when you look at things like the theory behind relational databases, you know, what we kind of know as like SQL Server and like, you know, how are those relations expressed formally it's all math at the end of the day it's it comes down to mathematics um then when you look at even things like regular expressions which we as developers use quite often like to you know filter something or to find something regular expressions you can prove that regular expressions are equivalent to finite state machines of a certain kind and you can then also prove that that they are equip equivalent to a certain way how formal languages in computer science are described. So there is that whole you know merry go around kind of thing of like oh it's actually all the same, and you use exactly the same met methodologies to prove these kind of things as you do in mathematics, and that's from my point of view the, the the theoretic bits behind computer science are actually just one subject of mathematics for me. Mm. Mm. Interesting. But, you know, I totally realize that other people have different views on that. And like, you know, I might get some backlash for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. If you are a developer and you want to, I don't know, get back into math, or maybe you never really had a formal mathematics education um, because, you know, you joined this line of work through a different path 
that is not mathematics or a computer science degree or something like that, and you want to learn a bit more behind all those concepts, how would you even start? It's tricky, right? It's like there's this whole sea of knowledge. And what is a good way to get into that and dive into that? Honestly, I have no idea. Um... I have no idea. I guess I will go to um, a place like Coursera or Udacity and I will look for some courses that I can that can get me into again. Yeah, actually, I will do the same. But... Like, look for courses and that are focused on people that had some training perhaps and maybe there are courses that are focused on people that have i know that are already working on computer science for example and have a little bit of idea on certain things or i don't know it's very difficult it's tricky right because you you wouldn't even know necessarily where exactly to start. Not just from a place like Udacity or Coursera or Khan Academy or whatever you want to use. Mm. But what would you need to know to get to a certain certain point? And that's, that's kind of a, a topic I discussed with a friend of mine, um, or a friend of us actually, um, a year ago or two years ago or something like that, um, where she was asking me exactly that question. I was like, huh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to what to say at that point. And then after thinking about it for a while, I kind of realized that I think it's basically a concept of Lego bricks of knowledge yeah. that makes sense here. When you think about like what we talked about in this episode so far only, like um, animations and you know transformations, for example, and machine learning. In both cases, you needed to know about matrices, for example, and linear algebra, yeah. right? So if you want to get into, I don't know, let's say animating things, that would be one of those bricks of knowledge you need to look into, you know, transformation matrices. And then you do some investigation into that and it's like, okay, so if I want to understand this, I need to actually learn more about matrices and vectors, but I also need to learn about sinus and cosines. And it's like, oh, what is that even? And, you know, what's the geometric representation of that? And how does it work as a function? So all of a sudden, you're kind of finding your way back from the thing you really want to understand. And you need to try to discover those Lego bricks mm -hmm. that help you to get to that point. And obviously, depending on how much you want to know, you don't need to, you know, do that on the university level. It might be just enough that, you get an idea how a three by three matrix works because that's all you ever want to know, right? And it might be enough that you just need to visualize how a sine or a cosine function looks like in um, in two-dimensional space or in three-dimensional space. So it can be quite simple, but depending on what you want to know, you can go quite deep as well, I guess. Mm -hmm. Thinking hmm. about it, perhaps I will search I will go and search for courses online courses and and look for what's considered the fundamentals and try to do some course overview on fundamentals and see how I do and see mm -hmm. how are my fundamentals and the, the 
base how I have to how my base is and go from there but I I right now I don't have a goal or anything I want to learn specifically yeah. so I will I will if I'm only interested in in, in learning maths and see what I can do nowadays, then I will go first to check my fundamentals and maybe learn a little bit more what I'm lacking of and then go from there. I, I think that's a useful approach to, to do it that way. Yeah. Could you go um, just by using Wikipedia and to say, okay, I'm going to learn about this topic and you open the topic in Wikipedia and, and there's usually quite a lot of explanations already there. And then it's do a little bit what you say, no, you keep opening boxes and going deep into the things that are interesting or useful for yeah. you. Rather than looking for a course that maybe the course is following a path that is not the right for you, but more doing, a, doing it yourself and maybe even starting with just a topic on Wikipedia and seeing where you go from that. That's really interesting, and I think that's a good way of doing it. But the problem is, it requires you to know what you want to know. If that uh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> right. Course. It's like I need to already know what I kind of want to know if I want to look into transformation in three D space. Yes. But also, uh, this. Is, I mean, you can do that as well, but it depends on how you learn things. I, I can start with Wikipedia mm -hmm. to learn different things, but I will not do it for maths unless I'm looking yeah. for a specific example because I will just close the top and, and go away. Like I, I won't be reading maths. I want to absorb this knowledge in a different way and I need a more interactive way. Someone explaining to me things and giving examples. That is true, and I think that is also a bit of a problem for people who want to get back into mathematics. I have like um, two quite good book recommendations I put back in, uh, put into the show notes for people who like actually books and reading things, um, but not everyone is mm -hmm. right. And like a lot of people learn visually or learn by trial and error, like using a tool, like a drawing tool on on their computer, for example. And all these kind of things exist, you know, to help you get these concepts and try out things. It's just like, you know, finding them. Um, I found like a, a really interesting tool to um, do numerical calculations online just two or three weeks ago that I've never, ever seen before, you know. And sometimes you have those random finds and it's like, okay, cool. I might not use that right now, but I might use that in a few months for something. I don't know, you know, even if it's just like one of my puzzles I want to solve and help. So for visual people, I found uh, YouTube videos. There are many tutorials on YouTube uh, about maths in general that are very helpful. There are many concepts mm -hmm. on computer science that I got from YouTube and and by yeah. professors and and the, the cool thing is that you can choose which one to follow and it's the best for you to learn and i i find that awesome for for me so i will also try yeah, to look maybe. for um concepts in, in youtube and and see 
um, where I can understand better. I think we'll put a lot of, oh, I will put a bunch of links and recommendations into the show notes for interesting YouTube channels as well. And I mean, like the other thing I mentioned briefly earlier, Khan Academy is really good. Mm. Um, they have math tutorials and math learning specifically from pretty much like primary school upwards to high school, mm. high school level in the US at least. Um, so the curriculum might be a bit US focused in a way that it goes probably what they do in certain years in school. Um, but I mean, that doesn't stop you from picking and choosing interesting things you want to learn more about. As, as developers, is there any programming language or platform that can help us understand better mathematics or learn mathematics? I will think, for example, of Python. And Python has something very interesting, which is the Jupyter Books, which works kind of like a readme Wikipedia at the same time you are running operations. So later you can look at them and see the results that you had live. No, you are coding and documenting at the same time. And that really helped me understand a lot of the um, machine learning concepts that I was learning. I suppose that when I was using Octave, mm -hmm. Octave um, with Python, it, I was more familiar with Python and I had to do a lot of of the operations that I was doing in Octave, I, I could do them in, in Python also. And, and the Jupyter books were a lot of visual yeah. and that helped me a lot also. Um, the other thing you can do is um, use a language called R. It's a statistical language, but they have a similar concept of where you can um, pretty much write an R script that is a mix of documentation and actual coding. So you would feed mm. in your data at the top of your script and then you pretty much write a document that gets updated with the live calculations depending on the data you feed in, uh -huh. which is kind of nice. I used R. I think, Lara, you did something yeah, like this, right? I, I remember looking at your uh, your uh, Jupyter books thing you were doing. I don't remember doing similar thing with R. I, I, I only remember, yeah, I had my data and then... I did a bunch of calculations with a bunch of methods, but I don't remember if it was so visual as you say, or as I am imagining right now. Yeah, R by default isn't, but you can actually apply, you can install additional packages that give you a very similar feature set like the Jupyter Notebooks. In then I, don't, I didn't use that for sure. I remember one project that you did for your um, bioinformatics the, masters, the, the final which one? was the final one with was was using R shiny. Yeah, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I was using and that. That yeah. way, to you had a UI out of yes, the, that's true. That's true. What you were programming, but that was the the final um, project where I chose to um, visualize. Uh, build uh, something to visualize graphics and, and um, data processed. So I fed the, the data and and I ran a bunch of um, calculations and then I created the, the graphs and um, made it 
nice uh, or uh, like a, the website so I, I had like the the back end and the the website together kind of um but yeah that's what made me realize yeah. when I explain what I did for my final project to a statistician job um I was applying to and I was interviewing for they were only interested in the kind of um uh, methods and and theories and things I was applying to my data and not in the thing I built and I was interested in building the thing and not in <laughs> calculating things <laughs> yeah but yeah um I think there are like a bunch of tools that allow you to do these kind of things I mean for python there's also numpy which is a platform to do specifically numerical mathematics and mathematics with mm. Python. Um, and you find you find probably libraries like that for a lot of languages and technologies if you just look hard enough for it. Wow. Um, it you know, it's a quite common thing, but it's not necessarily a popular thing. But these kind of platforms exist. I feel like if I had access to all these things when I was learning... Um, for example, statistics, if I had access to or I knew about these new, um, other libraries that could help me visualize things. Or, for example, when I was at uni, maybe if we had already uh, this kind of online courses and, and in YouTube tutorials, maybe right now I would see maths in another way. I feel like I want to learn think, more things now. I know what to I think find. that is very fair to say, right? Because um, the opportunities to learn in different styles mm. that we have now is very different from when I went to uni in the mid-90s. Yeah. It's just a totally different world, right? You would either learn the way how it was taught at uni or you would not learn and you know fail your classes. Mm. And there are so many more options now to build something that is suited to your way of learning and that makes it really nice you know and it feeds a bit into this whole like idea of like why do we need universities and university degrees necessarily right i can build my own education if i'm really interested in it maybe you know in a different way and come out much better and much more focused than someone who's doing a bachelor's or master's degree in a certain subject yeah now i was remembering the times when i was i think 10 or so that i had to write an essay about something i didn't have any idea and i had to go to a library and look through books we didn't have internet mm -hmm. <laughs> things like that yep. so yeah wow yeah I wish I had internet the, my whole life. I, th I feel like I would be smarter right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. too much internet is maybe not the right thing <laughs> either. So a healthy mix might be useful. Yeah. No idea. Yeah, good way cool. to put it. <laughs> yeah. So we will put a lot of things into the show notes for people to, you know, have a bit of a look around mathematics and maybe find some inspiration of how to learn and how to get back into mathematics or, you know, get into it for the first time. 
if you never had to deal with some of the more theoretical concepts mm. behind it. To finish, should we have a look at one or two of the puzzles quickly? Yeah. I'm just mindful of time because we're already going for over an hour and we don't want to make the episodes too long. But I will just grab one or two of the puzzles and we'll talk about them. Oh, wow. Okay. Challenge accepted. So I dug out like two or three of the little daily puzzles I'm doing from my math calendar. And so the first one is a calculation. Um, So we have factorial of three times factorial of five equals factorial of x. Okay. So that's kind of interesting, right? Like, it looks like a very simple calculation, but the first thing you need to know is what is factorial. What is a factorial of three, for example? So Mm. that's where... So I don't know how to explain what it is, but I know that to calculate that, you multiply... So you kind (laughs) of... You take that digit and multiply that digit per each digit how do, how do you explain that so it's, inter- it's really hard to explain that right <laughs> exactly so you take like the number you want the factorial of yeah. let's say n n factorial so you do n times n minus 1 times n minus 2 times n minus 3 down to 1. Yeah. Yeah. So factorial of 3 would be 3 times 2 times 1. Yes. And factorial of 5 would be 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1. Cool. So now the question is, if I do that, what is that? What is the x in factorial of x? And there are two Mm -hmm. ways of doing this, right? Like you can go the brute fourth way. You could say, okay, I write it all down. So it's 3 times 2 times 1 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1. And you calculate the number. And then you find out, oh, okay, it's factorial of x, luckily. Or you do it in a smarter way. You can do that, but that doesn't scale when you have a big number. (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't scale if you have factorial of 745, obviously. (laughs) That takes a lot of time if you want to write that down. So you need to actually try to be a bit smarter, right? And you need to think about, okay, so if I have five or factorial of five, five times four times three times two times one, and factorial of three, which is three times two times one, that letter one is actually six because three times two times one is six. And now I realize, oh, I have six times factorial of five which is actually factorial of six. Because now I have six times five times four times three times two times one. So without actually calculating the bigger factorial and calculating all of it, you just realize, okay, if I calculate that one bit, I actually have the missing number to make it factorial of six. And quite often, you know, the, those little math puzzles I'm doing here are like that. And I find that really interesting. You can always solve them in some way by going the hard way and, you know, and mm. calculating it out. And 
spent like in half an hour writing down equations and for, you know reshuffling equations and doing all sorts of other things. But quite often they have like kind of a, almost a backdoor, whereas like if you see that, it's like almost like super simple to solve, right? And the interesting bit is getting to that point where you see it from my point of view. That's kind of what I really want to get yeah. to because then I have kind of looked through the puzzle almost. Yes, yes. Now now it sounds obvious, but before I was thinking, okay, but the, the factorial of three and the factorial of five also includes the factorial of three, so maybe we can put do that in common. That, I yeah. don't know. I was just like trying to do <laughs> stuff like that. Yep. Um, another one is kind of a more text-based. Um, what is the largest number of linearly independent vectors that can be chosen in R to the power of four? So you have like basically a four-dimensional space hmm. and you want to have vectors, which are pretty much like arrows pointing into a certain direction that are linearly independent of each other. So to mm -hmm. solve that, you would need to know the concept of like, what is what does linearly independent mean? And linearly independent pretty much means pointing in different directions where you can't just, you know, stretch or shorten a vector. You know, if I'm pointing to east, I can, you know, double the length of my arrow pointing to east and then it's not linear independent but if i'm pointing to east and north those two are linear independent because they can't be transformed into anything into each other by just a number you know by scaling it yeah so you have a four-dimensional space how many different directions so to say can you point to i was nodding because yeah, I, I want to confirm that i'm listening I, I'm just... You're still alive, yay. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know, infinite. <laughs> the answer is four. In, okay. in, in three-dimensional space, you, maybe, yeah, we should, maybe that doesn't work for the podcast, but explain it anyway. In three-dimensional space, you know, like you have something like that. You have like up and to the right and then yeah. another vector coming this direction. Yeah. X, Y, and yeah, Z. Yeah, exactly. That's right. what I and they are all pointing into into different dimensions, so to say. And pretty much what it is, if you have a four-dimensional space, you need have four of those linear independent vectors. Ah, okay. 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 Yeah. I, I thought there was a trick in it, but I was thinking, no, no it the trick is like, four. it's, it's too so obvious. simple that there it's There has so to be a trick in it. No. Okay, okay, okay. So that, that was an easy one and simple one, okay. This is what always happens to me with maths, that I think, oh, this is obvious, it's four, that then for sure it's wrong, it's not four, it, it has to be a trick in it. No, it's four, okay. And then when I when I think, oh yeah, this is four, then no, no, you're completely wrong, it's this completely other Exactly thing. what so, happened okay, to me with statistics, like, oh yeah, yeah, I have this kind of data set, and this, uh, you do these calculations and blah, blah, and then you apply this theory, blah, blah. Because that's what we've been doing until now. No, 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 no. Uh, in this case, it's different. That's why I just yeah. don't understand <laughs> anything. 
Yeah, so that's how it works sometimes. You know, you get easy ones that you just know or need to know, and sometimes you get mm. ones you can solve with calculations or quite easy. And sometimes I get some where I have no idea what to even do with that because that's kind of a topic of math that I haven't touched at uni at all or something like that. And that's mm. the point where I then go sometimes into Wikipedia or like Wolfram Alpha and try to yeah. dig deeper into it, but obviously only to a certain extent. I mean, I have like a whole pile of puzzles, of the daily puzzles that are on my pile of, pile of shame that I'm, I couldn't solve. And I know I could solve them with significant effort, but I don't have the time to do that yeah. know, in some instances. If I spend like three or four hours on one of them, that's just not scalable for my life. I mean, you have a calendar, so it's a daily, daily problem that you have to solve. Yeah. And yeah. I I'm feel not, the I'm, same with coding challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing them daily, though. I quite often accumulate a whole pile and then do like maybe, you know, 10 on a weekend or something like that. But don't you get frustrated when you, you hit one that it's very difficult and like, I have no idea. Or do you get it as a challenge to learn? Yeah, like I said, it depends. Sometimes it's a challenge to learn. Sometimes I just, after a while, say like, yeah, that's just not my thing. And I, I have a lot of these, particularly in number theory, yeah. when it tries you to, when it asks you to try a lot of fancy things and trickery around number theories and primes, and you have to know a lot of things. And that's a subject I was never good at at uni. So I lack a lot of, lot of detailed knowledge. And I'm willing to go a little bit into it, but not to, not to the extent of you know, spending a day on one of those problems. Anyway, I will maybe put like one or two more into the show notes as well cool. um, for people to have a play with. Cool. Cool. I think I, I will, after recording this, I will go back to my happy bubble and just continue being happy doing basic arithmetics and using libraries for uh, complex things uh, in my daily work and not use maths. That is totally fair, <laughs> you know, because that's an abstraction level that really works well. Yeah, it works for me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cool. Thanks a lot for joining me in this little journey into mathematics, a topic I'm bizarrely passionate about. Um, I hope you had a bit of fun and I hope our listeners had a bit of fun make sure to follow us at CodeCalfateria on Twitter and make sure you have a look at the show notes with all the extra resources and links to learning more about mathematics and we hope to have you back in our next show in a couple of weeks thanks a lot Laura thanks a lot Miguel Thanks, Kai, for hosting. Yeah, thank you, Kai, for being so passionate about math and convince Miguel and me to talk about math at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah, that's actually really good. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. And I'm still awake. Cool. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> yeah. That's so Thanks, awake. everyone. Thank and you. we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye thank bye. you. Bye.